Hey, it's Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and today is Monday, and it's a beautiful, hot, 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 hot midsummer day. Um, it's uh, brought to you today by Whole Foods Market. Check out WholeFoods.com in the Bowery, in Union Square, all over the place. And uh, this is Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. Um, today, I'm so happy to have in this hot, hot studio with me today, somebody who is an expert on canning, jamming, uh, preserving, and just cooking in general. She is also the founder of Farm Friendly LLC. It's an organization to seek that seeks to raise awareness of and support for local agriculture. She's a member of Chefs Collaborative, Women's Chefs and Restaurateurs, and Northeast Organic Farmers Association. Um, that would be Sherry Brooks Vinton. Hi. Hey, thanks, thanks for so ha- having me out here. This is wonderful. Oh, thanks so much for coming. Um, I'm so excited about your new book. It's called Put 'em Up. It's a comprehensive home preserving guide for the creative cook from can- from drying and freezing to canning and pickling. Um, you know, I-, I think that this is going to be an essential book for a lot of people at this point in time because. So many people have gotten into home gardening, edible gardening, rooftop gardening, backyard gardening, and they're growing a lot of edible stuff, and they probably have a little bit too much of some things, and they're probably going to have a little too much of some things in a couple of weeks or so, too, when harvest season really, really picks up. And this is really the only thing to do with it. <laughs> well, you know, here in the Northeast, we do need to save up a little bit for later so we can have some treats on the table when the fields are fallow. And it's going to get dismal, right? Well, I, you know, I enjoy my parsnip season, mm-hmm. um, but there's nothing like a little chutney on the side to brighten up the plate. Yeah. That I always forget that it's going to get winter when <laughs> it's the middle of summer like this. I know, I know. And here we are in Bushwick Persons. sitting underneath of, uh, in a container and on top of which is a little tomato garden I, see I egg, saw. I see eggplants right there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we could whip up something tasty with those mm. and uh, have them on the shelf in January. Mm. What do you got for eggplants? I know this book. Mardi Gras doubloons. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, they're they're kind of a, a spin off of a, a New Orleans recipe that combines Ooh. eggplant and cucumbers Ooh. and uh, carrots. No, the that three colors of the Mardi Gras festival being gold, green, and purple. Oh, that's such a good idea! Pickle so, them all in the same jar. That's right, and they're festive, delicious, and they use up those little bits of those extra things you might hey. have in your garden. Yeah, that's a great idea because sometimes I don't have quite enough of everything to. Fill a jar and if I were to pickle them together they would the flavors would melt and that would be yummy um, is there something to look out for like because sometimes you know cucumbers need different uh, I don't know it's cooking first yeah. yeah well you know you you have to stick to the recipe when you're canning because you need stick things to Sherry's recipe you need things to be <laughs> shelf stable so you can't be as mad scientist as you might be oh, um, with things that would last in the refrigerator <laughs> totally. if you want them to last on the shelf but there's plenty of room for creativity and other preparations so if you don't want to stick to the dance steps you could do a refrigerator pickle which allows you mm-hmm. a little more leeway um, but they're also in the book and when you're trying to preserve foods at home you don't just have to think about canning you can also dry some things uh, particularly true. when you have just a handful ec- of extra I'm gonna have so many herbs to dry oh yeah they're nice to just you know hang from your 
What else would you dry? Peppers? I dry string beans. Oh, wow. And they're really cute. They're called leather britches. Isn't that adorable? <laughs> and they're did great. Did you make that up? No, I did not. That's uh, that's part of our culinary heritage right there. Oh, no way. And that's um, th- th- an ingredient you can use in soups and stews in the wintertime. Because green beans, although they are ubiquitous in the supermarket, do have a season. And it is now. Yeah. So it's time to get out there and buy a little extra of those green beans and then dry them or freeze them or make dilly beans. Yum. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love those. Yeah, those are delish. So is it kind of like a chip after it's been dried or is it? It's kind of like a leather. Yeah, you want to reconstitute it later? Yeah, that's why it's good in like a soup or stew or casserole. Think green bean casserole, but with real green beans instead of. Interesting. I bet the flavors are really concentrated too. Yeah, they are. When you dry anything in the sun. They are, they are. Dried corn is good too. Dried corn is delicious. Popcorn? No, just dried sweet corn. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Oh, I have to try that. Yeah. My my corn is growing um, on the roof, and it's already dried. It's <laughs> on the stalk. Yeah, that's the downside of hot. It's really dry hot. summer. Yeah. Uh, other things are doing better. I just came across a recipe for sofrito. That's a fun. That's a sauce. Yeah, that's a good base that's to have um, on hand in the freezer. That's terrific. Um, Pear butter with rice. You know, I just started making, I went to the green market on Saturday and I picked up a head of cabbage and I just started to make sauerkraut um, by just kind of chopping it up, mixing it with some salt and letting it sit. And that was Saturday that I did that. And then yesterday I picked up your book and I found the recipe um, and I saw that you mentioned don't use a metal can or pot for this. Yeah, you really want to stay away from the reactive metals like aluminum when you're using pickles because they're high in acid and it can react with the metal oh and gosh. make your things taste kind of funky in a bad way. Oh no, because I'm not sure what my stock pot is made out of, but I definitely use oh. that. But I moved it to a Dutch oven ceramic because I read your thing. Do you think it's bad that it was in there for like 24 hours? Um, well, it will taste funny. Ugh. So it's not a matter of you know, it's okay. not gonna, you're not gonna kick the bucket. I also noticed you that might they, just taste the bucket. <laughs> I also noticed that they kind of oxidize, like it turned brownish a little bit. Yeah, That's not well, good. You know, when you're making sauerkraut, you have to make sure that the cabbage is submerged That's under the I liquid. Yeah. And a glass is helpful in that regard because you can really see where your liquid level is. It will turn a nice golden color. Gold is where you're headed. So right. brown is maybe no, not the target. No, it definitely oxidized. I yeah. tried to remove some that were like that. Yeah. But how come, because I, I said, I read that you had said to add water if it doesn't have enough water to submerge it naturally after a day or so. Add brine. Add brine, right. So water mixed with salt. Yeah, I, so I did that. But how come some, ca- was my cabbage just too dry? Or? So it wasn't, so did you put a plate on top? Mm-hmm. So you have to put a plate on top. And something really heavy. And ha- something, something heavy really on heavy. top. And then you have to add brine until you cover it. The, the produce really has to be submerged in the liquid. Um, because it creates its own seal, its own mm-hmm. air, the liquid creates an airtight seal. Yeah, I didn't do that. Then you need to add more brine until it does that, until you're covered. You don't want little shreds of cabbage hanging out the top. Right, that's what'll give it the <laughs> yeah. Those will rot. They won't ferment because they're not submerged in fer- in in the ferment okay. in the brine. I might have to start this one over. 
Oh well, only at least it's only a head of cabbage. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's a, a little bit of a learning curve, but it doesn't have to be too challenging. And I think a book would help. Mm-hmm. You know, because the things in this, like I really like canning, like cold packing, which is uh, what you do with a lot of jams, pickles that are in a mason jar. But the lacto fermentation is what scares me. I'm just actually the lacto fermentation is not the um, the scariest thing because. Well, when you say scary, I think um, when people are scared, they're afraid of the big B botulism, which mm-hmm. is the uh, toxin that can make you sick or worse. Um, and botulism to pr- the botulism toxin um, has to have a very specific environment, and that would be airless and non-acidic. So when you are fermenting something, it's not in an airtight environment. So you you may not get the ferment that you want it may even go bad but it won't kill you okay so okay it's a fine line it seems between bad and and like fermented good (laughs) well you know it's really not as the margin is wider than you might think and i think if you're following a recipe and and starting out with things you know under the liquid and and with enough, um, you know, saline in there, which is just water and salt, combined to cover your produce, then you're off to a good start. Um, and you need to use a non-reactive pot. So I think maybe you you fell into some potholes there along the way to your sauerkraut that um, that can be avoided. Okay. In the future, and it'll be a lot easier. Try, try again. Just try again, and use a non-reactive pot, and make sure that everything is submerged. And we are having a very dry season, so it wouldn't surprise me if your cabbage needed a little extra brine to cover it up because, you know, everything is kind of I see. a little less juicy, some things are, than they might be. Well, thank you for that advice. I, I hope I uh, managed to figure it out. <laughs> so this is your second book? Yeah, this is my second book. My first book was called The Real Food Revival. And that was uh, a practical guide to how and why we should support sustainable agriculture. Came back in the, the heyday of 2005 when nobody was really talking so much about local seasonal. It was just starting to get off the ground, but was still pretty much under the radar. You really had to seek it out. And now the network of informed eaters and chefs um, is has just exploded and it's so much easier to tap into if you haven't already I encourage everyone to go out there and make friends with their local farmer uh, your life will be so much better the world will be so much better and your life will be so much more delicious for it absolutely that's great so what got you involved so early on before the kind of you know the the popularity really took off Well, um, my husband and I took a motorcycle ride in the summer of uh, 2000, and we went coast to coast from New York to San Francisco and back. And I always like to experience uh, new cultures through their food and was very excited to get out to sort of that iconic vision that we all share of like the heartland where the farmers are and all that kind of, uh, you know, nice 
farm growing 4-H clubs. Yeah, and, it was like fun and, you know, you know all games at first. And then well, <laughs> you know, I was really expecting the mom and pop little diner with the homemade pie. And what I found were a lot of friolators and not a lot Ooh. of farms. It, you know, not a lot of food being grown on farms in the middle of our country, just corn and soy, the building blocks of processed <laughs> foods. So I came back, um, you know, lacking good food and really wondering what was happening to our agriculture scene and all the, the wonderful farms that were kind of melting into the landscape. And I found slow food and they turned me on to this uh, underground network of farmers and eaters that were really uh, banding together to turn this ship around and create a more sustainable future for us all. And uh, I just wanted to scream that to the masses and did it enough that somebody said, you know what, that's a book. You should write that. So I did. Oh, terrific. I can't wait to get my hands on that one next. I know yeah. I'm going backwards through your that's, that's repertoire great. here. I, I hope the catalog keeps building. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, you know, five or so years later, um, we met at a slow food cook-off, or to benefit slow food, at the Superama. That's right, yeah. Superama, Jimmy's 43. Yeah, we both joint. judges. That was fun. <laughs> that was a lot of good soup. That was a lot of good soup. I remember there was an eggplant one that were like, we just wish that was made in the summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. so good, though. It was delicious. So, Cher, you picked a song. Um, what I is did. it? Well, I love the disco dancing, and I picked a song that combines my two favorite things, the disco music and real food. All right, we'll be right back in a sec. On air, this is Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Arway, and I'm with Sherry Brooks-Vinton, the author of Put Em Up um, and The Real Food Revolution. Revival. Revival. And uh, this is Heritage Radio Network today, brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Um, Sherry, so you're, I'm looking through this, and there's like a picture of frozen blueberries and, you know, cans jam uh, all over the place. What is your freezer, and what does your, you know, cabinet look like? Do you just have... Hordes and hordes of stuff. My kitchen in a typical summer looks like sort of, I don't know, a mad scientist's lab. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I thought you said you shouldn't get a mad scientist. (laughs) Well, I just have things fermenting and drying and percolating on the stove and... 
a um, little bit of everything. So, you know, when you think home food preservation, you don't have to think of just canning things. There's a little something for everybody. And it doesn't have to be an all-day affair. You can get in and out of the kitchen. Um, not that it's not my favorite place to be, but if it's mm-hmm. not yours, you can get in and out of there in 10 minutes with some of these recipes. Sounds fun, yeah. Have some for later. It's so true. I mean, the little time that you put into it, you can reap a lot. I was just thinking when I was uh, doing, you know, f- uh, the sauerkraut or something like kimchi, it's really completely non-active and you just let it do its thing. And in a couple of weeks, you'll have a lot of sauerkraut. That's right. And even things that look really fancy and complicated, like orange marmalade, which is like, I don't know, just has this prissy reputation of being so English and proper. Um, it takes three days to make it, but it's like 10 minutes a day and your house smells wonderful the whole yeah, time. Yeah, it's a little process. So you do a little bit you here. You do a little bit here and there. And before you know it, all your Christmas shopping's done. <laughs> I just, I love having a shelf full of different things that I've, pickled or jammed or made it's just such a nice thing to have on stock and they make really good appetizers if somebody drops in on you for that's a visit. true that's true I, you know i love cheese is like my favorite food and there are um so many recipes in here that pair really well with cheese and can make that something special but um homemade pear sauce i just came homemade across pear sauce. a little twist on applesauce ginger pickled peaches Nice. Yes, that's from uh, my dear friend Virginia Willis shared this recipe with me. She is a real southern peach, and <laughs> she shared her recipe for uh, pickled peaches. So did you find, you, you said you tried to explore, you know, our classic food heritage going um, with your recipes in this book. That's kind of the theme, right? Well, it's a mix. There um, are some old favorites like uh, bread and butter pickles, and then there are some new modern updated recipes that are twists on old classics like um, cherry preserves but I add black pepper so it sort of straddles that line between sweet and savory. Very sophisticated. Well it's good Mm -hmm. on toast and it's good like with a roast duck you know so a little bit of both. Oh that's right make a nice little reduction add some jam. Yeah yep and you've got a great sauce right there. I really like adding a little dab of jam to my salad dressings with like oil vinegar dab of jam. Nice. Whatever. And I like it this gives idea. It that sweetness mm-hmm. instead of like honey or something like that. Right, right. Fruitiness. That's good. I, I think the blueberry jam would be great in that too. Ooh, that would be great. Raspberry is always nice. Sure. Um, so, how did did you grow up with this? Is your part of your family culture uh, doing a lot of preserving? Well, um, in a ma- yeah, I did. Uh, my uh, I have two sides to my my background. One is Polish. Um, and the Eastern European side, of course, has a great tradition of preserving. And, and what's then, a famous pickle or preserve thing from there? Well, you know, anytime you go down to the Lower East Side and you get that whiff of brine, that's your, <laughs> that's your Eastern European heritage talking to you right there about um, garlic pickles, dill pickles. Okay. The fer- classic fermented crock pickles that you find in the book are uh, something that would not be... Um, out of place in that cuisine. I like the addition of the caraway seeds you had in that sauerkraut recipe too. Is that yeah, well, that was uh, yeah. one of the dishes we used to serve around holiday time was uh, kabasi, which is a Polish sausage with sauerkraut on rye bread, and the rye bread always had caraway seeds in it. Uh, so I like that combination of flavors with the sauerkraut and the caraway. Yeah, I thought so, it was a good touch. Thank you. And the other side of my background is pol- is uh, Southern. 
So my hillbilly streak comes out there in a lot of recipes. With the fruit, yeah. With the fruit and the jams. I mean, just memories of going to my great-grandmother's in South Carolina and having her get up at five in the morning to make homemade biscuits and then slathering them with strawberry jam Mm. that she had made. Uh, Just that, that these recipes brought that all back to me. What's one of, did you find one of her recipes or uh, track down, try to use any of them in particular or you kind of? Well, they're all modern recipes in the book and that's important when you are uh, preserving food and you haven't been taught by your busha or your nona or abuela. You need to um, follow modern recipes. There are a lot of uh, ways to preserve food and a lot of methods that... um, are traditional and I'm not I would never pull anybody away from those and if you have somebody that taught you those traditional ways then go ahead by all means use them Um, but if you're learning yourself uh, then I think it's important to follow a recipe so uh, in a book so I guess a lot of times family recipes aren't actually written down it's just kind of well and there are also a lot of preserving methods that um, have kind of are not as um, something got safe. dated. Yeah, well, yeah, they're a little. You know, I, they just don't give you the widest margin for error. Right. They're just the not as foolproof. Okay. So, um, and those things it, it can be great. And if you've had someone teaching you those things, those are wonderful. Um, but it's not the kind of cooking where you can just wing it. Mm-hmm. And maybe like a good rule of thumb in that regard would be like salt. Like you definitely specify to use kosher salt, not iodized salt. Well, okay. I yeah, I use uh, kosher salt. Some people use sea salt. Salt is really important in fermenting recipes. It's just a flavoring in other preserving recipes like canning. Um, it's just a flavoring. So um, you have to be very particular when you are fermenting produce to use the right amount of salt. Um, but if you don't like salt in your diet, then you can take that out in the canning recipes. Do you find that that's a stigma of a lot of preserved foods, that they're too salty or too... Um, yeah, too salty or too sugary mm-hmm. jam. People don't like the sugary um, jams. And I don't either. I don't like jam that is really um, treacly tasting. So a lot of my recipes use... Uh, Pomona's universal pectin, which uh, allows you to scale your sugar to your taste, unlike other commercial pectins, which require copious amounts of sugar to set to get a gel. Um, Pomona's allows a little more flexibility. So I found Pomona's universal pectin. You can find that in uh, natural food stores. I think Whole Foods carries it, and uh, online. All right, I'll have to check that one out. Yeah, that's a that's a good one to have up your sleeve. Well, I do love the uh, worldly scope of this. I see Indian pickles, Sichuan beans, and I love the agua frescas that you have oh, here. Oh, agua the, fresca! It's a good time of year for agua fresca. Yeah, this is there's like a cantaloupe one. I have a cantaloupe in my fridge right now. That's basically agua frescas, you know, juice uh, with a little bit of lime or something to sweeten it with, and it's served on ice. That's right. It's just uh, straining the juice out of your produce, and then you could freeze that for later if you wanted to. And it's also the first step that you would take to creating uh, jelly. Jelly is uh, uh, just like jam. You use the same process, but jelly is made from strained juice of fruit. It's, it doesn't oh, use any pulp. So, that, so it makes sense to have the, you have yourself a glass of agua fresca because right. you're making jam and you strained it already. <laughs> 
Well, the, the agua fresca would be the start of jelly. So you would have the juice and you could drink oh. it or you could gel it. Oh, oh, I see. Jelly. Yeah, yeah jelly is really uh, even textured, no chunks. Right, and crystal clear. I yeah. haven't made that yet. I'll have to check it out. It can be tricky, jelly. When people ask me what's the first thing I should try, I say try a pickle. A lot of people jump into jams and jellies because they're sweet and and they're pretty and um, and fun to share and I, I see the appeal but you have to reach the gel stage which is another learning curve in making jams and jellies if you go first with a pickle okay then you won't have that to contend with what's the difference between a jam and uh, like fruit preserves is that you know there so are named? there are technical differences between like the slice of the size of the chunks and whether you use the peel and whether there are nuts in there between preserves and marmalades and compotes but usually people just call things jam or preserves yeah. across the board i was gonna say except if they're jelly except if they're jelly okay oh i see cantaloupe pickles here too you have a whole yeah, section they, on cantaloupe well the cantaloupe pickles are um the rind you, you might not expect it uh, no there's a watermelon pickup pickle rind that's really good but um Classic. the cantaloupe pickles you might not expect are kind of um, when you cook them take on the flavor of sort of the squash family from that they they come really? from so they lose their sweet and they become much more savory hmm. so they don't taste as melony as they do taste sort of like um, you know like a um, um, squash is so far from my mind right now <laughs> like butternut. butternut squash <laughs> there you go oh that's horrible butternut yeah. Uh, do you grow food, too? Or? No, yeah. I cannot grow anything. My family calls me the Morticia Adams of the garden. <laughs> um, I, I can't. And you don't have to either. So don't How feel about that I'll give you some more strawberries. Then yeah, you can yeah. jam them for yeah, me. <laughs> give me more strawberries. Um, you you don't have to grow your own food to preserve your own food. I go, get a tremendous amount of wonderful things from the farmer's market from CSA programs and uh, you can go to your farmer and ask them for flats or bushels or pecks or just use a little um, of the leftovers that you brought home from the farmer's market. Maybe you overbought your cucumbers this week. And uh, It's a great way to use up here to extra use it CSA produce too. That's I right. hear a lot of people saying, oh my God, too much stuff. Three weeks of beets. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you need something different to do with them. Pickled beets are delicious and they'll last for up to a year on your shelf. Terrific. Do you have any recommendations on where to get your produce or how to? Well, always I guess you said directly from the bushels. farmer. Always. Yeah. 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 You can't. I, I don't suggest using grocery store produce at all in these recipes. Chemicals. Um, not so much chemicals. I mean, it doesn't even have to get into that debate. It's just that when you um, are canning and preserving your, your food, you need to have it fresh off the vine so it yeah. hasn't had time to build up any bacterial load. You'll be getting it at its peak of flavor. And it won't be coated with the waxes and fungicides well, that grocery yeah, stores use to keep things looking too. fresh on the shelf. Yeah, no, don't use those cucumbers, please. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank I'm you. definitely going to be making a lot of your recipes very soon, and uh, I can't wait to see how it goes. That's terrific. Thanks so much for having me. And check out Sherry's website, Sherry Vinton. Sherry Brooks Vinton. Sherry Brooks Vinton dot com mm -hmm. for any appearances and so forth. Um, I'd like to thank Jack Insley and Nat Wiener in the controller booth, and I'll be back next week. I'm your host, Kathy Array, and this is Let's Eat In. Oh,
I gotta stand tall